This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Here's the lowdown on lowering bad cholesterol from Lecvio. Lowering bad cholesterol is hard, but you could do hard. You live through five fad diets, 11 sleep training nights, nine mediocre middle school recitals, one heart attack. And with Lecvio, you can lower your bad cholesterol and keep it low with two doses a year after two starter doses. Prescription Lecvio in glycerin is given by a doctor for people with known heart disease on a statin with diet who need more help lowering bad cholesterol. Common side effects were injection site reaction, joint pain, urinary tract infection, diarrhea, chest cold, pain in legs or arms, and shortness of breath. Results may vary. Learn more at Lecvio.com or call 1-833-537-8462. Ask your doctor about Lecvio. That's L-E-Q-V-I-O. Lower, longer, Lecvio. On August 25th, I'm the most brutal, vicious, ruthless champion that ever been. The most anticipated original series is here. You may know Tyson. You're the heavyweight champion of the world, young, rich, and black. But do you know Mike? The minute you get too big, they gotta cut you down. Starring Trevante Rhodes. Um, I am Mike. And Harvey Keitel. They'll love you as much as they fear you. Now I'm really gonna have some fun. Mike, series premiere August 25th, only on Hulu. Welcome back to another sparkling edition of that Millwall podcast. And as we step into the lion's den with a former Millwall player, joining me today is Mr. Mark Beard. Good morning, Mark. How are you, mate? I'm all good, thanks, Neil. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Not. We want to take people back down memory lane, don't we, on a, and talk about 
uh, FA Youth Cup run. And uh, we're going to talk about a rather special FA Cup goal that I know you don't like talking about, that everybody likes asking you about. So what we're going to do is we're just going to basically concentrate on the start of your Millwall career. So how did your uh, move to Millwall come about? Because you're actually a Millwall fan, aren't you? Yeah, my family's all from South London. My granddad lived um, on the Owlsbury Estate. Uh, we lived there a couple of times there, actually, in around there. Um, so he's, my dad was a Cockney Red, but Millwall. He used to go Man United one week, Millwall the next. So as a kid, him growing up myself was Millwall. Uh, but I was actually at Wimbledon um, from the age of six to 14. And when I turned 14, uh, I, think, I can't remember it was, but uh, my dad got called Bob Pearson, I think, to say that they wanted to have a look at me. So I told Wimbledon, went Millwall, on my debut for the 14s, I scored a hat-trick against Leighton Orient and they wanted to sign me straight away. So I think that, that I scored them as hat-trick on the Sunday. On the Tuesday, I went to a first-team game, my first ever Millwall game. Uh, John Dockett, come and met me in the uh, players' lounge after and um, got introduced to all the players. Like at that time, it's Teddy, Cascarino, Erlock was my hero. Um, and John Dockett made me feel like straight away, oh, we want to sign you, what you're good at. And like, I've never had that at Wimbledon and felt straight away, oh, this is going to be the club for me. So I signed schoolboy forms then. And when I was 16, got uh, offered scholarship forms or YTS in them days. And uh, yeah, that, that, it's all started from there, really. So you actually came through the Tom Whaley School of Hard Knocks or yeah. you were hard work, as yellow as it was. But uh, what was it like to know that Millwall back then, a first division club, uh, yeah, well, as they must have been, actually wanted to sign you and made all of that effort to to make you feel welcome and to and yeah, well, just to push through to sign him, really. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. And I mean, the, the, people say to me, Millwall's like a drug, and like. And people I've taken sit like in the last few years from I live in Haver Team and taken a lot of people from here just to go visit the games. Um, and it is like a drug, it's like you want more of it. One, the banter, two, the, the atmosphere you get them, the way the Millwall um, play team play, um, you want to see more of it. So for, that was the same feeling for me when I turned up at 14 and I see how passionate the crowd were. That's the way I played, even as a kid, I was getting stuck in and run about. I knew. It'd be the club for me. And I think being around the Millwall fans from 14 to 18, I know what they wanted. So when it was my turn to play in the first team, I knew I couldn't let them down because I know what, what you need to bring. If you don't give 100%, then you get slung out pretty quickly. And um, Yeah, but they find you out pretty quickly and they pick you out pretty quickly, don't they? Yeah, I mean, knew that. And I mean, that's why we had success with youth teams because part of the thing that Tom Wally did, which is very, very clever, was... Well, obviously, we train together every day, but when the games were played, the first team games, like I'm at Brighton now, you don't have to go to the first team games. But, but at Millwall, he made you go, and pretty much most of the time, it's home and away. So we was pretty much all fans, the whole team, every single one of us. We'd be in their terraces singing songs. Um, and then when I was made the debut for the first team, then boys, I could see him still in the crowd, like the lads who was a bit younger than me. So um, you're doing it for them as well as for yourself. And, yeah, well, I guess that... Yeah, well, I guess that you used to play what in the southeast counties on a Saturday morning. Then you'd be off to the first team in the afternoon. It must have, yeah, but it must have been quite something. And yeah, and I mean the the the, the, the time it's a bit like 
we're we're top of the league. We're getting to the youth cup finals. One of my as a schoolboy, we got to the youth cup final. Won it in my first year as a scholar. We I think come third in the league, but we uh, got to the Southern Junior Cup Dudley final. Um, in my third year, we got to the semi finals. Beat Man United at Old Trafford. Uh, was second in the league. Only lost out to literally on the last day to Tottenham. Sol Campbell got a hat trick for Tottenham. But so you're talking like little old Millwall being better than um, Arsenal, Tottenham, Chelsea's, all the big London clubs and all the big clubs in the South East, Aston Villa. Um, and we was top dog three years in a row. And even when I went to become a pro, under, fourth year under Tom Wally, we were still up there. So he was brilliant. He was Because what he got you doing is you, you couldn't give less than 100%. If you got 11 players doing that, literally, we had 11 like, British Bulldogs out there running and chasing and fighting. If someone got up, we'll all be there. And that's a hard, that's hard to beat. And all the successful Millwall teams over the years, first team, have been that type of player. You have to be a certain type of player to play for Millwall. It's like I look at Man United and their decline in the last few years. You need to be a certain calibre of player. And you, when you listen to Roy Keane talk about United, he knows, like he says about Fred, he says about this player, that player. And because he knows they're not Man United players. And it's the same for Millwall. You can't put a uh, Wayne Rooney in a real wall shirt and uh, and do well. He wouldn't do it. You just need players who are going to give absolutely everything. And uh, with that, players with a little bit of quality, like we did have back in the day, people are going to score your goals. People are going to like stop goals at the other end. So, and that's we had, for them years. All the years I was there, that's what we had a real good balance of quality. But every single one of us give hundred percent in every game. Was also part of your decision to join the club the fact that back then we did have such a good youth policy and that you knew that if you were good enough, you would get a chance in the first team at some point? Yeah, it would have been the same at Wimbledon. You would have had an opportunity because they was always known for bringing youngsters through at Wimbledon. It was just the the draw of Millwall was there's not much in between the two clubs. It it was just the, the feel of the club. It just... I just felt straight away at home and felt part of it. And that's what made you think, this is what I want to sign. This is where I want to be. Um, and then, as I say, as the years went on, like I actually signed for Millwall as a right winger at 14. It was um, towards the end of my schoolboy, 16, before I went in as a scholar, Frank McCarthy, who was a quality, he's going to be a great right back, proper Millwall, like Rhino style right back. But he'd done his ACL, never recovered. So Tom Wally switched me from right wing to right back. Um, worked me every day 1v1 so to get to the point where no one was beating me. No one ever would beat me. I took pride in it because I was probably working two hours a day with Tom doing 1v1s. Come on, Biggie. Fucking smash him. And you'd be working and working and working. <laughs> but if it weren't for an injury um, to Frank McArthur, I, I may not have had the career I've had. You know what I mean? Because personally, as a wing, I don't think I was like that Jimmy Carter type wing. I was one of my heroes growing up, watching him taking players along. So I had pace, but I didn't have that skill, that little trick or the jink of the shoulder. Um, so converting me to right back was a, was a godsend for my career. And and I guess that you, you need that stroke of luck as a footballer, don't you? You need something to work in your favour. And unfortunately, Frank MacArthur's misfortune was your advantage, if you like. Yeah, and it's the same when I made my debut against Watford. The, they'd had a horrendous run of results. We were near the bottom. Um, and there was four or five injuries. Dawes, he was injured. Uh, there, there was loads anyway. Mick McCarthy pulled me on a Tuesday after a reserve game. 
and said to me, you're going to be starting Saturday. Uh, I couldn't believe it. I'm 18 years old. going to make my debut, but he's on a bad run. Um, but we won 4-1. I had a really good debut. I remember getting nine out of ten in the South London press. Mick gave me a good uh, mention in the papers the next day. So it's just a dream debut, really. But again, that can't be injuries. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it's all about. It's all about taking your chance when you get it. That little... Yeah, that little slice of luck, I guess, is what you tell your players now. Yeah, and it, it, is, it is. Sometimes it's someone else's mis- misfortune that you get the opportunity, but you've got to be ready for that opportunity. And I was, I'm quite a mentally strong character, all my family are, and um, knowing that once I had the opportunity and I had 30, 40 friends and family up in that crowd, and as I say, we all been in a bad run, I had nothing to lose. I'm like 10 stone wet through, like a little skinny rat. And um, But on that pitch, I was going out smashing players and doing the best I can, Just not just for myself, but again, for my family. Up, up there, put everything into me. And I had all that dedication taking me uh, boxing three times a week, like an hour round trips. I was going from Roehampton to Dulwich, training three nights a week, three nights with me all. My dad was probably never at home. That's having to do a job. So just little things like that, giving it, giving back to them just like for all the hard work and dedication to get out there as Millwall fans and make him a debut it was like a special moment. So what was the South East Counties League like back then? Obviously, you, you, yeah, well, I know we've briefly touched upon it. You'd have played the likes of West Ham. You'd have played the likes of Tottenham, Arsenal, uh, Chelsea, Charlton, uh, Palace things like that. What was the standard like and what kind of players did you come up against? It, it was a really good, real good standard back then. And back then, a lot more players got opportunities and went on to have careers than they do now. I think the introduction of a lot of more foreign players coming in mid-90s um, restricted a lot of players coming through the academy. I think you're starting to see now a bit of the, the youngsters coming through, especially the last four or five years. Uh, but back then, it was like, it was loads. I mean, for example, Tottenham had your Sol Campbells, Minton, uh, Andy Turner, players like that, Arsenal, Adrian Clark. Uh, you could go on, like Charlton, Richard Rufus, Lee Bowyer. Um, Palace had all sorts, like literally their whole team that was successful for the 90s. So, um, they had some real good battles. And a lot of them, you know, like Charlton traded on the other side of the fence and we are playing practice games again against them on a Thursday, every Thursday as part of training. And, it would kick off every game. Like it was once, it was like a twenty-four man brawl, and like police were calling. Like the rivalry was like so intense, but it was a great league. It was always competitive, um, and I say a lot, of, a lot of players were produced from um, then from them teams. And then you just got to look at Man United when we played them, like Beckham, Buck, Skulls, Neville, Neville, uh, Keith Gillespie, Ben Fornley. It's like an array of talent that come through um, in them years. That was quite a good youth team that you were part of. But we'll move on to that. You had the likes of what? Uh, David Wichiter in goal, Dean Francis, Colin Luckett, uh, Danny Chapman played a few first-team games, didn't they? Ben Thatcher, yourself, Neville Gordon, uh, Matt Middleton, Mark Kennedy, blinding player, Jeff Pitcher, Jermaine Wright. That was quite some little squad, wasn't it? Yeah, it's brilliant. And in my first year, because obviously you play 17 18s combined, we had Andy Roberts, Tony Dolby, um, 
so we had good Mark Foran, Sean Devine, we had good players, Carl Emerson, all went on, had good careers. So then in my in my second year, we was a great team. Um, and that's that's the year we really shone and we won the Southern Junior Floodlit Cup at Ivory, uh, got to the semi-finals of the Youth Cup and, as I say, finished second. And that game versus Tottenham, last game of the season, the week before, we could have won the league. We played QPR um, away, always remember it, and we was 4-0 up. 4-0 up and we lost 5-4. You couldn't fucking make it up. Lost 5-4. But I had Danny Diccio, uh, Kevin Gallen, and I think the Danny Dicchio got like four goals and he'll know he ended up playing for me all. So we could have won the league the week before. So then it went into the last game playing Tottenham. Sol Campbell's, everyone knew him as he was the same size then as what he was at 16, 17. But he was a centre half. Uh, that game, they played him up front uh, Tottenham uh, against us and he scored a hat-trick. They won 3-0. So we lost the league, really. Didn't bottle it. I just think we was knackered. We got, we got, had all the cup runs. We must have played 70 games that year. And the way we train as well, like, it's not like today where we train now when you're off. We was like training four hours a day. It was so intense. So I, I think we got to the last two games and we just had nothing left. Um, if that would have been 10 games earlier, we'd have won the league. Yeah, well, you probably wouldn't have lost a four-goal lead. Yeah, but it's, yeah but it's a typical Millwall thing, isn't it? Four-nil up and you need to win the league, you lose 5-4. Yeah, Do you know, I think towards the end of the season, I don't, don't know why we did, but we lost Mark Kennedy through suspension. We lost him for the Man United second leg when we was 2-1 up. and So we lost him for the game at the dead, which cost us because he, just, he was a phenomenal goal scorer. And we lost him for that Tottenham game. So the two games where we needed our key centre-forward, we didn't have him. Um, so that had that had a big no that's no disrespect to the other players who come in, but it was just he was just brilliant. So what was the camaraderie like with all of that squad? Because they're quite strong characters, a lot of strong characters in that side, wasn't there? It's it's the best years of my life and we've uh we've had how would I call it, the Dockers down at them, we've had two. We've had the reunion of the Youth Cup one and the reunion of the Man United beating them and it's just like you've never gone away. They're, they're, the characters in there are a joke. It's just like you, just, you couldn't like uh, sit still for a minute because there'd be someone doing something, cutting up clothes, slapping you around the head, burning you on the back of the neck with a teaspoon. Uh, it was just constant, constant, like non-stop. Then there's some absolute fruitcakes in there. Um, and then with that, we are in the same building at Eltham as the first team. So then in that group, you had your, like, your Rhinos, your Pat Van Den Hals, your Terry Erlocks, your Gavin Maguire's. Um, some absolute... So, uh, so, so between the two squads, we had 30 people. I reckon about 26 of them were certified nutters. So it was... But the atmosphere, we had camaraderie, and that's why, you, that's why we were successful because of the spirit we had. And we'd do anything for anyone. Anything on and off the pitch. Yeah, but it seems as if there wasn't a shrinking violet amongst you, really. No, oh, it was. It's either good recruitment or just a little bit of luck that 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 that, that crop comes together at that time. And let's say you got friends for life. Still keep in touch with most of them. Um, and it, it was just fantastic memories that we created together. And I speak to the boys now, and like Ben Fatu had great career, good money, Kennedy. They're the best times of your life. £35 a week, fucking had nothing, but it was just the, 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 the memories we created and that coming in together. We'd be in at nine o'clock and we'd leave at five o'clock. Today's training, you could go in at 10, you could be home by two. Them days we was with each other, it's in each other's pockets and we'd do anything for each other. 
quite a ruthless environment, but it's one that makes you grow up quite quickly, I should imagine, and brings you all, you will all together earning 35 quid a week. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's crazy, isn't it? It's just, you don't think about money then. And it, uh, for me, even when I went on throughout my career, it weren't about the money. I just loved the game. I just wanted to play. Didn't give a toss about the money. Obviously, it's nice that you've got to feed your family, but. Uh, you just want to play the game, and that, that was the same with most of the boys. They're just the love of the game, love of the club. Um, and just as I say, just the memories you created and the things we went through like you could write a book about it, but it's, it's always nice to catch up with them. And then we always just revisit the stories and everything, and it's just it's just class. Can you imagine your youngsters now earning 35 quid a week coming in at nine in the morning? doing all of the shitty jobs that you used to do. You obviously, you'd have to probably sweep out the changing room, lay the kit out. Then you'd have to clean up again afterwards, after you've done your training. Yeah, yeah. And also, uh, match days at the den. If you play Tuesday night, you'd have to wait for the... Mop the change room, squeegee them go up into the players' lounge, hoover, hoover the stairs. We'd always have fun again. Like, once most of the staff had gone, we'd be Danny Chapman getting a fire extinguisher out. There's always once. He was hiding down the bottom of the stairs. He's waiting for one of us to come down with a hoover. And he just heard this noise shuffling down. And he's jumped out, thinking there's one of us who went, with a fire extinguisher. He fucking, it, it, it was Reg Burr. <laughs> 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 Right at his head, Reggie's like, oh, and uh, nearly give him a heart attack. So, Danny got in trouble for that, probably punched under the chin by Tom Wally the next day. Uh, but no, there was some like they're good moments, late moments, but uh, you'd be get home about one o'clock in the morning and have to get up for training in the morning. So, it just wouldn't happen now, it just wouldn't be allowed, would it? But then, moments again, as part of building character, yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, that was my first thought was actually listening to that. It builds your character. It's character building, isn't it? And uh, yeah, but they could do a lot worse now than to do that kind of thing. I guess. Yeah, I, I, listen. I don't know why they do it. We we asked the boy. We they was cleaning boots last year for the first team, and then I think it's a PFA found out and not allowed to do that. It's like they fit. I don't know whether they think it's humiliating for the players, but it ain't. It's like it's character building. And end of the day, I, I used to clean Colin Cooper's boots, Alex Ray. Uh, Paul Kerr and uh, I used to give 50 quid bonus at Christmas which was like two weeks wages which was fucking happy day so little things like that uh, I, I imagine what the players are earning now and what bonus they would get from the pros so yeah, <laughs> it, it's ridiculous they should be able to do it but they're not allowed yeah it's probably classed as child labour now or something like that isn't it but anyway, yeah, but I don't want to get you told off by the Premier League or by anybody else uh, yeah but I did promise you that so let's just talk about that FA Youth Cup run. We started off in round two, I think, didn't we? I think we came in at round two. Yeah. And uh, played uh, my local team now, Plymouth Argyle. Yeah. Who uh, drew 2-2 two, two up at the Den. What went wrong? Uh, do you know what? I don't even remember that game. I remember the quarterfinals against Forest. And the semi-finals against United. Um, I remember there. I can't remember the earlier rounds, to be honest. Right. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well, if you can't remember, yeah. Well, I'll just remind everybody that you drew two-two at Millwall, then you won five-nil away. Yeah. 
And then in round three, you played Palace away from home and we won 2 0. What year was this one? Because I, I played in three youth cups. So, three This years. was in 92 93. This was the build up to the Man United game. Yeah. God, you know what? How bad my man? Yeah. Yeah, but I'm going to say, yeah, but you've added too many footballs, mate. I tell you. And then you. Yeah, but then you played round four. You played your current employers, Brighton, and we won 3 0. Yeah, remember that. What do you remember about that game? Talk me through that. Uh, I, they, I don't think they was as uh, big as club as what they are now. So, similar to the Plymouth one, um, just had to get the job done, really. So, it's just a case of being professional, turning up and winning a game, getting through to the next round because they're the type of, even though we was uh, first division club ourselves at the time, there was uh, we still a banana skin or a big one to beat really because of our run the year before when we won it. So um, it was everyone wanted to beat us and like to prove everyone else wrong. But it, it, they're always tough games. Them types of games, the Plymouth, the Brighton. So um, it's good to get through. Was there a lot of pressure on us or yell no. on you as players? No, I don't think so. Uh, and even like with the quarterfinal, that, that's the one where I felt a little bit of pressure because we already knew what the next draw was. So when we beat Forest, we drew Forest at the Den and then the second game, uh, the City ground, it was, it was a real tense game. But we knew it was Man United in the next round. So to play at Old Trafford and we knew Man United was a special team with the new Fergie babe. So that was the only time, I wouldn't say we felt pressure, but we... We knew what the what the prize was at the end of it, so we just needed to get through that round. And um, I actually got injured in that Forest game um, in the first half, done my knee, um, and I was like distraught. But so the boys actually got the result, and we got through. So, but then for me, I had a race to get fit. I'd like done my medial ligaments, which is eight weeks, um, and it was four weeks to the game. But I, I played. <laughs> yeah, you weren't going to miss that one, were you? Not a million years, and they, they said it's a medical miracle. But I wasn't. There was no way I was fit. My knee was fucked. I played. Had to play Pompey on the Saturday as well because Tom Wally said if you don't play against Portsmouth on the Saturday in the league, you're not playing um, at Old Trafford. And I was a captain, so for me to leave my team out at Old Trafford, nothing was stopping me. So I, I literally let limp my way through the Portsmouth game. Um, took tablets, ice, sweat, everything to reduce the swelling, and then. Um, I actually probably played at Old Trafford at 50% and four weeks earlier than I should have done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but those are the kind of things that you did to play in the big games of of course yeah. back then, wasn't it? Yeah, he did. I, I, I go on like later on in my career. I did do it at Millwall, but at Sheffield United where managers say, I need you this Saturday. I had an ankle ligament injury two week, six weeks out, two weeks into it. Caught was only injection in my ankle on the Tuesday, day off Wednesday, and Thursday, train Friday, play Saturday. So I'm four weeks early again. Happened again. The only one I ever refused to do was one in my spine. And they said that half time once I said, double back. Oh, we need you. We need to play you. I'll get an injection in your spine. I went, you ain't touching my spine. Like, fuck that. <laughs> Don't get <call> me. <laughs> so, yeah, you just did. You, you just want to play. I mean, these days it, it wouldn't. I don't, I don't think it would happen, but um, you just want to play, especially playing at Old Trafford. As I say, leading a team out, wanted to be there. It's the best thing I ever did because we won 2 1. 
Yeah, we'll just go back to that Forest game. We actually drew the first leg at, or yeah, the first game at home and then we won 3-2 away. Actually, yeah. a, lot, a lot of similarities when we won the Youth Cup in 79, we actually beat Forest at Forest. Yeah. Uh, a good story with Paul Roberts the other week of uh, him doing a Brian Clough impression in the dressing room after the game. And who walks in behind him? Brian Clough. Did he? <laughs> yeah. He- and then as well, you know that we yeah, at half time it was what was the score in that game at the den? Was it one one or nearly two two? We draw. I think we was drawn at half time, but we played brilliant. We was really good. Um, middle of Tom Wally's team talk. Brian Clough walked in in his green jumper. He was pissed as a fart. He was steaming, and he just started telling the boys what a great team we are. You're brilliant. I love watching you. Can't wait for the second half, and he just staggered out. I mean, he's all like looking around, me, what the fuck has gone on? So, and then he went to the lap of honor apparently around the pitch, all the fans would clap with him. Um, but he's yeah, a very special man. And then he came in again at the end of the game when we beat him at Forest, and again said, I'm going to be watching out for you, lot. Great team, I'm going to be a good future for the club. So, that was very good from one of the best managers ever. Yeah, do you think that Brian Clough actually walked in a wrong dressing room at half time, Damon, at the den? He was steaming. He, he weren't even walking. He staggered. He was like all over the gap. <laughs> <laughs> Fancy that as your first, your, your first meeting with one of the best managers that's ever graced the planet. Yeah. And he's steaming. And oh, he's no. falling around your dressing room. The funny thing was, yeah, when, yeah. I, when I signed uh, Apprentice, Teddy had just left to go to Forest, and after about two weeks, Teddy turned up on a Monday train, Monday of us Tuesday, just with the youth team. And like, we're saying, What are you doing here? Just like Forest, he goes, It give us they play Saturday, they have Monday off, Tuesday off, Wednesday off, come back in Thursday, Friday, so they'd have four days off. Teddy ate it, he's a fitness freak, and um, so he used to come train back with the youth team or the reserves just to keep himself ticking over. Crazy, unbelievable. So, so you get to the Man United game. Uh, what was the build-up to that like? It, it must have been, you know, you're fighting injury, you're battling to come back from injury. And I guess everybody, I guess everybody's attention was on it. Was it Old Trafford under the lights? It was bound to be a big game. I guess, it, I, yeah, well, I guess there was only one conversation, wasn't there? Yeah, and we knew... It, it's hard back then because it wasn't the social media. So you didn't really know how good they were. Oh, you don't really see a lot of footage. We just heard about them. So um, I played against Beckham as a schoolboy growing up like with London against Surrey and things like that. So I knew Beckham, but he wasn't a big dog then back then. It was Skulls, but and Ben Formley, who was just an absolute joke. Um, so we knew all about them. Uh, night before the game, uh, we just had a funny idea board in the hotel. We'll all have skinheads for the game, every single one of us. So we all had skinheads. So that was intimidating straight away. I think everyone apart from Matt Middleton, who had long flowing locks, and we was trying to pin it down. And I felt I got kicked in the jaw. Someone else got chin. So we just thought, fuck it, leave him. Uh, but I actually had a grade two. And then Ben Thatcher was saying to me, come on, you're captain. You should have grade one. Lead by example. So I said, all right, all right. So, didn't have a mirror in front of me. He's got the clippers and, and it was great hero. He done me. Oh, my God. I, I, my head was like yours, mate. And the, uh, 
So I've gone from having this curly hair to no head. Uh, I look teal as well, so I was only skinny. I looked like I was like a refugee or something. And um, so that was the first thing. So we done Tom Wally, we done a physio, we done our coach driver. Everyone got done. Um, so we all had skinheads. So when we turned up and we we're in the tunnel, we're like enthusiastic, energetic, like getting each other going in the tunnel. Man United were looking at us like you see, they were scared shitless. <laughs> Thinking, <laughs> Who were these? And uh, <laughs> from the first whistle, because that was the way we played as well. It was intense, he's in the face, and they just didn't couldn't handle us and couldn't handle the pressure. And they was probably used to getting the ball set team sitting off them, them doing what they wanted with the ball, but we didn't allow that to happen. But actually went one new up with a wonder goal. Ben Formley did like a Maradona run from 80 yards. Um and then I just always remember the roar when they scored. I think there was 17,000 So yeah, it wasn't it, yeah, about seven and a half thousand. Yeah. So it, like the roar, and you're thinking, fucking hell. Um, but then we got into the game. Um, we got a goal back, uh, and we thought, these ain't invincible. We went on to win 2 1. So I think Kennedy got the winner. And it, yeah, that, they just couldn't handle us on the day. And uh, we was fantastic, and we would never ever give up we just give everything and uh, as I say we just we we outworked them they probably had better footballers but we outworked them yeah the Mark Kennedy's goal was quite good or something wasn't it yeah unbelievable chip the keeper yeah unbelievable but so yeah Ben Fawley one team who's going to be the next Jules Best until we got injured um, and then Kennedy on the other team the Irish one the dog so uh, Kennedy was a centre forward then uh, which he would have gone on, I think, to even have a better career. It's only when he went to Mill first team, Mick McCarthy didn't want him getting bullied or intimidated, thinking back then you need a big strapping centre forward. So he stuck him on a wing out of the way. Um, and he ended up playing there for the rest of his career. So, but as a centre forward, Mark was unreal. Really? You, you, you think he could have been that good as a centre forward? Yeah, mate, he's class. He's just a natural scorer. He's just like little... Touch around a corner, bomb, shot, goal. I think he broke Teddy's record that year, scored over 49 goals. Teddy's record had said for years and years, from the 70s, I'd imagine. So he, he beat that. <laughs> Blimey. And so, so you're 2 1 up at Old Trafford and you win. Uh, what was the dressing room like after the game? Oh, brilliant. Just, but the thing is, let's say we're all Millwall fans, so emotional, the fact that you bump. Partly, you're thinking as well, it's only half-time, so you still had the second leg. Um, but celebration was great, all singing me all songs. And uh, the disappointment thing, the next day is, when it gets about the semi-final, they start reporting in the papers. And I think The Guardian or someone had put like um, something that mentioned us and National Front. We look like National Front um, movement coming all in the picture of Skinhead. So there's a bit of disappointment there, because even then, they like classing us as racist and things like that but at um, the end of the day it's a better fo- the, the hard working team beat the, probably the better quality team yeah well that's what Tom Whaley or yeah but Tom Wally was all about wasn't it it was the school of hard work and you got there through working hard yeah he, and listen he did it with Watford as well he won the youth cup twice with them got to won it with us once got to another final and lost against Arsenal, and we got to the semi-final that year. We won two Southern Junior Floodlit Cups. We come second in the league twice. For Millwall to do that, that's, they probably never do. Well, they haven't done it for never, never. I don't think since then. So, 
Um, he's just an amazing man. One of the best coaches, man, management. His, his actual coaching was really good as well, <clears throat> as well as a motivator. So, But what he knew, he knew how to produce players. He wouldn't last two seconds this day and age because of everything else that goes around, uh, HR and all that, and child welfare. He wouldn't last. So it's like, if you weren't doing it, he'd punch you in the chin or slap you around the head. And he just can't do them type of things now. But it, 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 it bred tough characters and uh, characters that let us have a career in a game still now. Yeah, well, that was his job. His job was to produce footballers. Bob Pearson found them for him, and then he moulded them, didn't he, into the type of player that Millwall needed. Yeah, that's that. I've tried to do how he how he worked as well, like like the tough love on the pitch, like making them work, and the standards. The standards have to be high. You can't like like let things slip on the pitch because if you're like winning and winning, and then you give them an easy week, you see the standards drop, or you let them uh, take the foot off the pedal. You can't do that, and that's what Tom did. He drove every day for perfection in terms of you might not be having the best game in the world, but as long as you're giving a hundred percent and you keep wanting the ball, you can't hide, um, and then you can't ask for anymore. So I tried to take from what I learned from Tom. Um, into what I'm doing now, but without that, obviously punching people. On August 25th, I'm the most brutal, vicious, ruthless champion that ever been. The most anticipated original series is here. You may know Tyson. You're the heavyweight champion of the world, young, rich, and black. But do you know Mike? The minute you get too big, they gotta cut you down. Starring Trevante Rhodes. Um, I am Mike. And Harvey Keitel. They'll love you as much as they fear you. Now I'm really going to have some fun. Mike, series premiere August 25th, only on Hulu. Picture this, you're fully immersed in your podcast because in the back of your mind, you're not trying to recall when that deadline was supposed to be or stressing to keep everyone updated on next steps. MeetMonday.com, a work management platform that makes having peace of mind easy. With Monday.com, all your work lives in one centralized place. You can automate updates to keep team members up to speed and ensure nothing falls through the cracks, even while you're enjoying your favorite podcast. To start your 14-day free trial, go to monday.com. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, I shouldn't really laugh. but, but So I guess he was doing his tits in the dressing room after the game. He was trying to keep you all down and you're all as high as kites. Yeah, Tom was good. He he was obviously happy, and he let us get on with the celebrations. But again, like I said, it was half time, and he wouldn't let us settle for that. And uh, we'd have to reproduce that performance back in the den. So we knew it was going to be a full house, or there'd be a lot of people there. And uh, again, just it, we're one step away from a final. And unfortunately, it didn't quite work out for you, did it? I think David Wichita picked up an injury. And there was flu going around the camp, was there? And a few players were suffering from it. I think yeah. Mark Candy was suspended. So yeah. it yeah. wasn't ideal, was it? It wasn't ideal. Uh, and I think from that first Man United game, I wasn't still fit. So I played right wing this game and tried to double up with Ben Foley with, uh, I think it's Colin Luckett. So we doubled up. So he's literally a 2v1 because he realised how good he was. Uh, Mark Kennedy was the biggest thing because there's, we had two good chances at 0-0 uh, one was Neville Gordon. I put him through 
and then we had another, and it's one v one with a keeper. A keeper made a good save. Then we had another chance from a corner. Um, to, and that would have killed the game. So it would have been three one up on aggregate. Straight from that, they went through and scored, uh, made it 1-0, and then they got one, I think, about the 85th minute, 86th, Nicky Buck. Yeah, and it, you must have felt that the world had, or the bottom had fallen out of your world at that point. Yeah, we realised it had been, what a tough game it was as well, and they just had that little bit of extra quality at the end. Um, as I say, we had, you, to beat Man United, you needed your best players on the pitch. And like you say, with the flu and with suspensions, we was without two or three. Um, and I think that was the difference between winning and losing. Um, what was the Den atmosphere like that night? Must have been quite oh. something to off with. United, like always, they bring fans, don't they? I think they had about 1,500 and the rest was filled up. I've got photos we could see. Halfway line that was full, all behind the goal that was full. Um, it's just the other end next to the away end, they shut that off in case there was any trouble. Um, and then obviously the seated bits, there was all it was full as well. So it was fantastic. That was our first real taste of playing in front of a full house at the den, well, not full house, but about seven, eight thousand. Um, and it just gives you that taste for more. And then we, uh, even though we lost, we knew we had another cup final coming up with Arsenal in the Southern Junior, which was two legs as well. So that sort of softened the blow a little bit and the fact that we're still challenging for the league, uh, we still had two things to play for, so we couldn't be too down. And and I guess that it's quite difficult because you probably built yourselves up, built yourselves up, and you'd won the first leg at Old Trafford. So mentally, you're halfway there, aren't you? And it's such a big letdown, come down, I guess. Yeah, and I think the fact that we put so much effort into that first game, it might have been a case that we were tired. But like I say, if we if we had Mark Kennedy, we would have won. We would have gone through 100% because the two chances we had, he would have finished them. He was that good. He'd have buried them, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, did you know how good those players, those Man United players were, the likes of Gary Neville, Keith Gillespie, Nicky... David Beckham, Paul Scholes. Did you know how good they were going to be after you'd played against them? Ben Foley was on the pitch. He was just a joke. Uh, and as I say, he, he was the next best thing. And the, you know, the funny thing was, he was the right winger. Beckham played inside with Butt and Scholes. So there's three of them in there. Yeah, Gillespie one side, Foley the other. But Foley was the top dog. Uh, but he'd done his ACL. And back then, now, he probably would have made a full recovery and been the player who should have been. Uh, but back then, it, the surgery weren't as successful. Uh, he he never was the player that he should have been because he was unreal. But then you could tell uh, Nicky Butt was unreal. Paul Scholes was unreal. Beckham didn't really notice him. He's quite small then. Uh, tidy on the ball, but Scholes was a man. Uh, Keith Gillespie was just ridiculously quick. He's like Ryan, Ryan Giggs quick. Um, Neville did I couldn't, again couldn't really notice Neville but he just made a career of just being great attitude getting stuck in and being solid defender didn't he so he didn't really stand out yeah, you'd have noticed his mouth if anything else wouldn't you <laughs> I think we was louder than him don't worry <laughs> so you go on to the Arsenal games Highbury I guess Yep. Yeah, the marble halls, and your probably hair had grown by then, so you probably weren't looking as intimidating. <laughs> what was it like to play at Highbury? 
Yeah, it was. The, I think the first leg was at home. Um, I remember that. I can't remember the score of the first leg, but I remember there was a mass brawl on the pitch and police come on the pitch uh, to separate the fight. Even the subs got involved. I just remember one one of the subs. It all something happened. I think we made a some Arsenal player made a challenge on our keeper. So straight away, like I say, we stuck together. We jumped to this player. His punches thrown. Um, Next thing I seen one of our subs, Vaughan Morgan, he come over with a corner flag. He was smashing us away with a corner flag. So that's when the police got involved. So police are now on. I remember one couple falling in the net. Someone had pushed him over. Uh, so that was my memory of that game. And then the second leg was obviously unbelievable. We was we was brilliant. We uh, we we was outstanding. And uh, I think we won five three in aggregate. Uh, overall five two. But again, to win a high, win a trophy at Highbury, like the, the nostalgia and the history of the club, uh, to lift the trophy. And a lot of Millwall come as well. So I think it's the end of the season. There's no more games to play. And there was a load of Millwall in the uh, main stand. So it was great. Yeah, and everything about Highbury, wasn't it? You'd walk in through the marble doors and you'd have that big entrance way. Yeah. And the floor of the dressing room was heated, which would have been quite a novel experience for you guys, I guess. I've heard of it. Never even felt it before. It's, it's just it's just amazing, mate. Even the high ceilings, you can't you can't describe it. I've been to the Emirates and it's not a patch on it. It's not a patch on Highbury. No, it's not. Absolutely not. I played at the Emirates and I played at Highbury. Highbury was just one of those. It, it, it was just the aura of the place, I think. It was a bit like the old den. That had an aura about it, didn't it? And the new yeah. grand doesn't quite have that same no, appeal. I'll try and replicate just even the entrance. I know, like they say about Wembley, the Twin Towers, it had to go down as part of the new structure. But just if they could have designed it with some sort of element of it in. Uh, like, we're playing Aston Villa next week. And I'm saying to the boys, like, don't worry about all these new stadiums. This is unbelievable play. You walk through them, the minute you drive through the iron gates and then you go up the stairs and similar to Highbury, it's going to be class for them because it's a bit of history, really. An old club, big club. So uh, you do miss them old stadiums. Yeah, and you're playing at the traditional ground, aren't you? It's almost like the ghosts of players past of are still walking corridors and things yeah. like that. It's a very special feeling. Yeah, and we played at Ibrox a couple of years ago and it was brilliant because they're so welcome and I love Rangers as a club. Um, and they showed us in the trophy rooms and after you walk around the corridors, you go see and you just see the history of the club. It's just there, you can feel it, you know. And then you can walk out onto the pitch and you play the stadium where best players ever in Scotland have been up there. So it's just, it was, it's an amazing feeling, but you don't get that feel with a new stadium. And then, so... You graduate through the, through the youth teams. Yeah, well, I know I've got to move this on slightly quickly because you've got a COVID test a little bit later. Yeah, those of us that have had the jabs don't need it. Uh, and uh, your second season as a professional, 94-95 uh, in the first team. Uh, yeah, another good omen. You actually beat, we actually beat Forrest, who were in the Premier League. Uh, in the League Cup, didn't we? League Cup fourth round game. That was that's a very good Forest team as well. It just weren't like a normal Premier League team. They had probably five, six England nationals: Stan Collymore, Stuart Pearce, uh, Brian Roy, um, Steve Stone. 
unbelievable team. And I think that's third or fourth at the time in the Premier League. And we went into that game. Mick would have got the sack after this. He would have got the sack. Williams on a, to his second bottom. It was a hell of a bad run. Just lost to Port Vale on a Saturday. Um, I was speaking to one of the other guys about this recently. He normally come in the changing room and ripped our heads off. Was Port Vale scored in the 93rd minute to win. We was in the changing room 20 minutes. Didn't come in. I think, what's going on? Ian Evans, his assistant, didn't even know. He walked out, looked through him, couldn't find him. He just sat in the dugout. He didn't actually ever, ever get out of the dugout for the game. So he was obviously in a bad place and probably just thinking in his head, I'm going to resign or what am I going to do? And I suppose that 20, 30 minutes where we didn't see him, cleared his head. Didn't talk to us on the coach on the way home. He stood up, started walking towards us and was thinking, oh, he's going to say he's resigned. And he said, right, whatever plans you got tomorrow, I know we've got Forest Tuesday, um, we're all meeting at Common Garden, five o'clock, everyone has to be there. So now, even then, we're thinking, shit, he's going to resign. But why are we going to Common Garden? Next thing, we're in Common Garden, beers, two beers, three beers, got absolutely rat-ass hammered all of us but Mick was with us the whole time see you at training tomorrow boys like, fucking hell every day we thought he was going to resign got him Monday atmosphere was great went to Forest on a Tuesday smashed them 3-1 and I think we just went on this hell of a run so we, from that I'm not saying going on the piss is the answer by the way but that getting us together <laughs> did something <laughs> he could have got us in the next day ran us done that but he would have done the boys heading so he got he done the best thing and I think that may because imagine if he did if he'd resigned after that Paul Val game, he wouldn't have had the career he had as a manager because he would have failed really. Because his first year he'd done all right, got playoffs. The second year, that that run in the FA Cup, the running towards the playoffs towards the end of the season, uh, we got to the quarter final, semi final, League Cup. I think that really helped him, and um, obviously got the Ireland job from it. Yeah, and that Forest team actually had Colin Cooper in it. I've just actually, I've just checked. Yeah. Um, and I think that Greg Berry scored both the goals. Greg Berry, that's a blast from the past, isn't it? Somebody we might have to get on this. Yeah, he scored. He actually was a winger, wasn't he? But he played up front in that game and was excellent. He scored two great goals. So, and against a very good Forest team, all of a sudden, that win gave us the belief. And as I say, we went on a great run after that. And uh, that Forest game sort of just changed the season for us. Yeah, it's... Yeah, it seemed to give you quite a lot of belief, didn't it? Yeah, and that's what happens in football. Like we said at the start of it, that sometimes you get uh, someone else's misfortune gives you that opportunity. Um, it's the same as this. That one result can change everything. It, it could change so easily. And like you look at like, even little things like Man United, like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at the start of the season. Like, they're full from bottom, sacking, do this, and then they get one result and that's it, gone. And then Liverpool on the flip side, I didn't lost for three years at home and then lost five in the spin. So football could change like that. And uh, that's why sometimes you have to be patient. Things that might not be going right at that particular time, but it could just take one thing, one bit of confidence, and then next thing you're you're flying again. You were playing right back and then I think you were moved to the right wing, weren't you? For for the game before the Arsenal game, which was at Sheffield United, and you scored. Yeah. Uh I missed the Christmas period. I got concussion boxing day. Then I didn't play the next game. And then he dropped me for New Year's Day. I think it's a big game as well. I don't know if it's Palace or something. Um, but then there was a couple of injuries again. Uh, and he pulled me away to the Sheffield and I said, you're going to play right wing tomorrow. I said, oh, brilliant. I've been used to that because I've played there as a, young, a youngster all my, life, all my younger career, sorry. Um, 
and then scored after 10 minutes. Uh, got man of the match as well. So I was double happy. Because um, then <laughs> the Arsenal game was in the week. So I was, if you know, if you have a good game, especially if you score and get man of the match that you most likely to be playing. And that's what I just want to be playing in the Arsenal game. I was desperate to play in it. So what was the feeling when Millwall Arsenal came out? of the hat because we always complain these days that we get crap draws and we generally do. Uh, you've drawn Arsenal away in the FA Cup third round. You must have thought, oh, because obviously you'd quite fancy a run in it, wouldn't you? And you'd think Arsenal away, uh, they've got to be the favourites. For me, I've never lost there. Um, as a youth team player, we won the Cups there, obviously, and then I played... As a youth team player, played the reserves there, never lost one again. Um, so this is my first time as a pro, but you go into it. Me personally, went into it like buzzing because I just scored Saturday and I thought I'm in good, good form with us. So I felt, again, we had nothing to lose. Everything was on them. And you can see they didn't want to play. I see him right doing a play against me all and get 50p coins chucked to his head. Like the back four didn't want us running at them. Uh, Mill all everywhere, 6,000 behind the goal. It's another 2,000 in the clock end. Um, so everywhere and uh, no one likes playing us so we got the first goal obviously through me and then um, they threw a lot at us probably could have scored two or three themselves but we was we defended so well that night uh, kept a clean sheet obviously and just frustrated them and then Kennedy scored that well at the end uh, to kill them off So we'll talk us through your goal Similar to like- yeah, exactly the same uh, Jason Van Blurk crossed it in he sort of like played a one-two with Kennedy and did a underlap, picked up his pass again. Uh, same as Saturday. Top again thing my dad or Anton Wally used to teach me: if the defenders there don't run across them, which is easy to mark, run round the back of them. So not at any point did Nigel Winterburn have me. I could see him keep looking at the ball. He's watching Van Blurt, watching Van Blurt. So I peeled off round the back. Now, if he overhit the cross, which I was hoping, I'd be at the back stick, but he didn't overhit. He sort of bobbled it in behind everyone. So then, but I was still in a position where Winterburn's there that I could get round the back. And the reason I slid, I didn't have to slide, by the way. I, the reason I slid, I wasn't confident. Just before I was about to shoot, I see it bobble up. So I'm thinking, if I stand upright, it could just bobble over my legs. So I sort of slide so it could get any part of my foot on it. Or if it missed my foot, hit my shin and go in. Um, and luckily, hit my foot and actually went past Seaman. And then the first thing you do is, once you score, is sort of look towards the linesman to see, make sure I'm not offside. So I don't want to go kind of celebrating like a mug and then get like see his flag up. So and then all I can remember, obviously it's a goal and I can just hear the roar from the other end. So all I want to do is go celebrate with them. But next thing, everyone's just jumped to me. The funny thing was, as we're walking off, Kennedy, you can probably see it. He cuddles me, he kisses me and he says, look, and at them days, they didn't have the video screens where you can watch the replays. And he's saying, look, it's up on the radio screen. So you can see us walking off like that, watching the goal back. So that was amazing. And all you can see as I'm watching it, all the Bill fans jumping up and down in the Arsenal end. And you can see all the stewards and the police coming down and seeing us sling them out. But my next <laughs> back, I just see me all still EIO him, um, just trying to find my dad and my mum. But obviously, you couldn't see him because everyone's fucking going mental. And then you've got that iconic photo, which it actually is one of Millwall's iconic photos of your celebration of that game. Yeah, no, it's class. Um, I think Tonksy took it, didn't he, the Millwall photographer? That he's got the frame by frame where I'm running, I'm sliding, I'm 
scoring and went on the seaman with his head on the floor like that, just looking distraught. So, and then obviously reeling off from the like Alan Shearer's type celebration. Yeah. But listen, it's, it's a memory that like people say to me, like, I think I didn't score many more goals, but uh, that was an important one. But it's just a memory that I'll have for the rest of my life and for the club as well. Like just a, a great moment. We've had loads of moments over the years. We were following me, weren't we? But that's 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 yeah. special as well. Yeah, do you remember when I tagged David Seaman in on the photograph and asked him why he actually led it in? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry about that, mate. Yeah, well, I. <laughs> Yeah, well, I stitch all my mates up in some way, shape, or form. So, uh, yeah, well, I understand that it got quite interesting in the players' bar after that Arsenal game. Yeah, just being right when he's listen, he's a great player, great character. Just what he's a winner, isn't he? Um, sort of had the up with Andy Roberts and Alex Ray, um, and he just carried it on in the players' lounge. Alex was actually with his missus at the time, and. Uh, he was just having a chat and a drink and right, he's bowled in and just, just literally gone for him. So, that's to separate him. That's the right winner. And he ate in Millwall. Yeah, well, even though he says he's a Millwall fan. Yeah, he's, he's a Lewisham boy, isn't he? So, he's probably a Millwall fan. Um, but he was, um, he confused by Millwall a little bit, then he with a 50 Ps on the head that time. So, that's probably why he don't like us. Yeah, well, Alex Ray actually tells a different story. Alex Ray says it was you that kicked it off in there. Uh, as Andy Roberts. Yes. Really? I think... And the evening in party. At the what? Yeah, well, Alex Ray says that he was the innocent party in it all. It might have been. I can't remember. We've done so much stuff that it could have been any one of us. <laughs> <laughs> so then... You get past Arsenal, and then we, and yeah, but then we got Chelsea. You must have thought, "How's my bloody luck here?" But there wasn't any games in between, was there? There must have been a couple of postponed games. Nah, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, the Chelsea game at the Den, just something not really experienced in both the games. Really, the atmosphere was unbelievable. It was the the, the biggest. Memory from the first game was the let them come at the start. I've never heard it so loud. You know, like with the goosebumps. Like it was just unreal. And I think Chelsea had the bottom tier and the top tier. Um, got towards the end of the game. Wasn't a lot in the game. It was very, very cagey. Probably weren't very exciting game um, to watch, but to play and it was very tense. And uh, I just remember at the end going to take a throw in, and there's police horses behind me, and me all fans come up to me, chinny beardy. So I'm taking a throw in. <laughs> Bill's there with police horses and his fans fighting literally a yard from me, telling the ref to fucking blow the whistle. Um, and then the second leg was uh, the replay was just is the, the most intimidating game, but I loved it and like we thrived in it. And I just remember extra time going over to take a call to once and giving it to that to the fans, and it was like we'd scored a goal. Everyone was after seeing everyone surging forward and thinking, "Fucking hell, what have I caused here?" But just that atmosphere, you can't, you can't explain it to no one. The hatred between Millwall and Chelsea, um, and it ain't been played ever again since. So, for me to play in that last game and that group of players and to win is just it's surreal. And like I love telling the story about the penalties where it got down to the fifth one, great penalties from both teams, uh, down to John Spencer. Uh, but Mick hadn't said who's going to take it after the five. We hadn't even got that far. 
So I'm mixed now in the dugout, and there's me, Damien Webber, I think it was. No, me, Tony Witter, uh, Ben Thatcher, and I think it might have been, there's one other anyway. Um, and then we had Casey, obviously. Um, two of the players are taking their boots off. So there's no way they're taking a penalty. So it was me, Thatcher, and I think, I think was it Damien Webber or Witter? And um, we're saying, who's going to go next? Thatcher goes, I ain't taking it. Witter's going, I'm not taking it. I said, oh, fuck, I don't want to take it. You're fucking hell, chicken. Ben used to call me chicken. Ben said, chicken, you got to fucking take it, son. And I was going, oh, I don't want to. So all of a sudden, now in my head, I didn't thought about it. I might have to take a penalty in front of Chelsea. And I'm fucking praying to God, John Spencer misses. So I couldn't watch it. I'm the only one. Everyone's facing Casey. I'm facing the real fans. All I'm doing is waiting for the real fans to go, yeah. So I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Penalty, bash, misses it. And real, obviously, it's real going like, And I was the most relieved man in the world because I knew I would have been next. And I don't think I would have even got to the penalty spot because I was shaking so fucking badly. So <laughs> I run fans that way. Everyone went to the Casey, where the Chelsea fans were. And I was like, um, paraded on the fans' shoulders and that. When all the boys went that in, they all got beat up. All the Chelsea fans were running around, clumping them all. Mitchell went down. Thatcher's got one. He's chased the Chelsea fan into the stand. Um, so I was the only one who got away with it but it was an unbelievable game and um, great night did get home to two o'clock in the morning because they bricked every coach we had um, the replacement coach got bricked then the third coach come out got bricked so we eventually got home that night about two o'clock three o'clock in the morning and um, yeah but just a typical normal Tuesday Wednesday night out with Millwall really wasn't it no, nah, that's it. The funny thing was, we actually ended up drinking with all the Chelsea players in the bar because they weren't allowed out either. It's their cars, and it was like Beirut at the time out there. There's fucking police and helicopters. Kate Adie was out on the fucking mic, so it was <laughs> it was pretty mental. They stayed in the bar with us, and it was ended up being a funny night. Yeah, well, you look and remember the game that people just running on the pitch, and then. Millwall would chase them back or Millwall yeah. would go on the pitch and Chelsea would chase them back. It was just one of those absolutely chaotic games of football. Christ knows what it was like to play in. It's just brilliant. And uh, it's just the passion you can see from both fans. They wanted it so badly. And like I say, these Millwall-Chelsea games don't come about very often. Like you see the hooligan films, when they draw each other, it's just like they're made up. It's just what they've been waiting for for ages. And uh I just remember when Savage scored. Um, oh, I can remember watching the BBC the match of the day late that night. Mick run on the pitch and tell everyone to get off because the Millwall fans have all invaded it. And they're all like, so we didn't want this game. We knew we could have them. We knew we could beat them. And uh, and we did. And it's just like that. It's a special feeling. Yes. Yeah, so did you want it more than they did? And you probably did because we were Millwall and that's the way we were, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. I think Chelsea had a good team at the time. They did have their chances again. I remember Steam, was it? Going one-on-one with a keeper. And Casey made a great save. Um, and our penalties were class. Like, all of our penalties, you watch them back now, they're like, well, even Rhino. You think Rhino's going, I think, fuck it, he's got no chance. And he goes, bomb, smashes it top corner. You think, oh, well done, Rhino. But, um, yeah, it was just meant to be. It was meant to be that night. And, um Again, it was that meal, all hard work, desire, wanting to uh, to win, and again, special special memory to share with the fans. Did you actually practice penalties before the game, or or was it just not, not really. worried? I mean, 
yeah, it wasn't part of the training. Players would go do it themselves, you know. And, um, but I, I was a real confident penalty taker. I'd hardly ever miss. But just that situation and that being, if I miss, we're out. Just sort of like it would play on your mind. I'm sure. Listen, if it if Spencer would have scored, I'd have had to go up and be professional and do it. But I fucking didn't really want to do it, mate. <laughs> <laughs> You're one of the few things you're probably not wanted to do in your career. And then we got QPR in the next round, away from home again. And by then, we must have been fairly confident that we could go almost anywhere and win because we've been to Ivory and won. We'd been to Stamford Bridge and won. And then we draw QPR, managed by the late, great Ray Wilkins. Yeah, and that was a good, that was a Premier League team again. Trevor Sinclair uh, has some real good, good, good players. Um, and we were the better team on the day. We had chances. Andy Roberts hit the post at one point, and they didn't really create a lot. And then they scored with a penalty in the 93rd minute with. Uh, to this day, I still don't know what Damien Webber's doing when he jumps up with like 30 seconds away from a replay back at the den where you fancy yourself against anyone down there. Um, as he's jumped up for the header, he's gone up with a hand and it's hit his hand and we didn't even have time to take kick-off, I don't think. Yeah, Clive, uh, Clive Wilson scored the penalty. That must have been absolutely galling because, <laughs> because you're within 30 seconds of a replay back at Millwall where you'd have been confident. Yeah, it... It, it's a killer. It's a killer. And that, that destroyed our season as well. As I said, we was on a hell of a run. And we was doing really well in the league. I remember losing that. And we'd have had Man United next round. That's Old Trafford, which was unbelievable. Um, but then we went and lost to Barnsley on the Tuesday, 4-0. And it was just the start of a run of inconsistency. Um, but I think it was just that knocked the stuffing out of us. Completely derailed our season because you're on for that euphoria being Arsenal, Chelsea, 30 seconds away from getting a replay at the den against QPR, which meant Barnsley game what that took place. Um, and it's, it's all about momentum in football. You've got that momentum and you keep going. It's like a train. We was we were flying. We was ready to beat anyone, but that just knocked us, like, taking the fucking wind out of our balloon and that was it. It was gone. And then I think that actually we didn't get promoted and that was your last season at Millwall, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I did the pre-season. Um, got injured. He signed about 56 players. And uh, Sheffield United... You've never from... the Spackman situation where Spackman bought in about a cast of thousands a few <laughs> years later. Uwe Russell, whatever his name was, fucking 800 grand. He brought in Ricky Newman, Bobby Bowery. Uh, Michael Bennett. We brought in like ten players. In addition to the, he sold Mark Kennedy. So in addition to all the players that we had, we had loads. And to come back, we had two squads. He didn't know what his best team was. Uh, didn't start the season. Played the reserve game on a Tuesday. Was doing brilliant. Done really well. Got um, bang on the head. So I was went off half time concussion. And on the Wednesday, I'm covering from a concussion. He's Wrong we said Sheffield United come in for me. Um, they were set to the bid and it, like a dagger in the art. I'm thinking like, if he's done that, went up to see Dave Bassett. Obviously, didn't want to leave Millwall, rung Millwall chairman, who we knew really well, Peter Mead. And he said, um, Listen, if they're offering three years, you've only got a year left in your contracts. Mixed bringing in this player, that player, I, I can't say as a 
family friend that um, you're going to be getting contract under him. So I was thinking, fucking hell, I've gone from my club I love to all of a sudden mix, getting all these big ideas about signing all these players that weren't mere all players and it ended up fucking backfiring so I got relegated. But that's the reason I left. And uh, as I say, I didn't want to, but sort of felt like I'm not wanted. Um, and at the end of that, I was only 20 years old as well. I was like, I think that at the time I'm thinking, oh, I've had two, three years under my belt, but still a baby really in terms of football. So was it the wrong decision? It might have been, um, but because Mill was my club. Um, and I'm sure I would have fought my way back into the team, but at the time, I just didn't feel like it. So um, in the space of two hours, I had to make a decision, which was life-changing. Um, instead of like, moving up, 20 years old, having to buy a house, live on my own, missus come up with me, the kids were born there, so it ended up being the best move ever for me. And I guess that it started to lose something, Millwall, when they started selling off the likes of... Mark Kennedy, yourself, and that youth team that had, was actually the core of that FA Cup run, wasn't it? The likes of you, Kennedy, Thatcher, yeah. things like and, that. They started to sell those players off. Yeah, and I always, I still to this day believe that if Mick would have done what the club would have done, what Man United did we would have been in the Premier League 100% because we were the best team in the country um, as a youth team. Now, you had that with the players that we had with Alex Ray, um, obviously the back four, Casey Keller, and then we had John Goodman up front, um, all those different players. You mix that youth, um, keeping your Kennedys, your Thatchers, me, Roberts, you keep all them players uh, with what we had. It's definitely been a Premier League team 100% because on our day, we can beat anyone. And if you put, keep them together get that experience together, uh, bring a couple in as well, um, we'd have a fantastic team. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say if you'd have added to that with a little bit of quality, who knows what would have come. Yeah, what would have happened. But then again, that's Millwall for you, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think it's, they've been a lot better the last few years. This, this chairman's different class. He's obviously... Um, up and down in terms of the form, but we are where we are. Um, the championship has a lot of money in that. So where we are is, when, listen, we want to see different uh, type of play where you want to sit and watch it, you know what I mean? Um, at the minute, it's just about getting results. But, I mean, there was times last year I've watched Mill and Rowe, it's gotten playing a certain way, a little bit different to Neil. But um, you just want to see it and players entertaining you, you know what I mean? We want to go and meal to be entertained and go away, having a good laugh with your pals, having a few beers and then coming home like happy because you've won. And um, yeah, well, unfortunately we can't do any of that at the minute. We're not enjoying watching them play. But then again, I guess as you quite rightly point out, it's yeah, it's a means to an end, isn't it? You've just yeah. got to you've just got to get the points on the board. Yeah, that's it. that's it. Listen, as long as they're not in a relegation battle, because the last thing you're going to do is looking over your shoulder that way. As long as you're looking up and you never know, could still a late march into the playoffs. It's squeaky bun time. So it's the business end of the season and um, we're all normally quite mentally strong, but I would be a lot higher if we have the fans there because it is like having a 12th man when you're playing, playing with them. Yeah, but that and the goal scorer wouldn't go amiss. Yeah, that was well, yeah. <laughs> well then Mark yeah that seems like an appropriate time to end this thank you so much indeed for yeah for making the time 
you have a long day off. I'll let you go and get your COVID test. And uh, thank you very much for joining us on that Millwall podcast. Cheers, Neil. Thanks, pal. Top man. Cheers, mate. My day job as a firefighter is tough, but my night job as a social media manager, my Persian cat Jinxie, that's intense. It's 8 p.m. I've finally gotten home from another 24-hour shift, and I just want to kick back with a cold one, but old Jinxie knocks my beer right off the counter and gives me that look that says, no drinking on the clock. But Heineken Zero Zero keeps us both happy. Zero alcohol, but just as refreshing. So I get my drink, and I can still work on Jinxie's new line of merch. Heineken Zero Zero. 0.0% alcohol. Now you can. Must be 21 plus to purchase. Enjoy responsibly. If you have bills and debt piling up, a personal loan through NetCredit can provide funding up to $10,000 to help you get back on track if eligible. Visit netcredit.com today. All NetCredit loans and lines of credit are offered by a member of the NetCredit family of companies or one of our lending partners. Visit netcredit.com slash partners for more information. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.